Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Claussen, and today I have Hilary Jackendoff with us. She is a Los Angeles-based yoga nidra and meditation teacher, uh, teacher, trainer, and human design coach. So welcome to the show today, Hilary. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yes. So I would love to start kind of with your um, yoga journey and how yoga came into your life. Yeah. Um, Well, when I was uh, probably 20, I was actually on a flight to Los Angeles to visit my older brother. And I was sitting on the flight and I was sitting next to this dude who like I was, you know, just like a little anxious mess and, you know, uncomfortable in my body and dealing with all these aches and pains. Um, And I was sitting next to this older guy who just seemed so comfortable and at ease and at peace. And, you know, he was probably six foot four and just sort of bent up like a pretzel in a seat. Um, And it turned out that he was a well-known yoga teacher. Um, And he told me that I was ripe for yoga and (laughs) other things that older male teachers probably say in a moderately creepy way to young women. (laughs) Um, and it it just sort of stuck in my head. And when I went back to Jersey, um, I started practicing at a local studio and then I traveled to New Zealand not long after with uh, my boyfriend at the time to live and to backpack, um, and to do some organic farming. And I was trying to break up with him. And (laughs) so I told him that I was going to go on. I'm making this story very short. If you're like, yeah, it's as short as it can be. So I, I told him that I was going to go on a retreat um, and sort of give give us a little bit of space and time. And I ended up going to this ashram through a series of like truly magical synchronicities that that just sort of naturally unfolded and it just became very clear that this was what I had to do this was where I had to go and um I went to this ashram for uh, a little sort of self-inquiry self-discovery retreat and the second day that I was there you know I arrived on a Friday on a Saturday practiced yoga nidra for the first time and I was like, what is this magic? <laughs> and it, it kind of just gave me this uh, experience of true meditation that I had never had before. And I had been meditating for some time um, prior in a Buddhist tradition. And yeah, this, this first encounter with Yoga Nidra um, just sort of opened up this shall we say portal <laughs> in my, my consciousness and I had to know more I had to go deeper um and this particular yoga ashram was uh grounded in a particular uh, North Indian yogic lineage um and the next year I decided to go to India with the people that ran the ashram in New Zealand uh went on a retreat there and sort of realized that this was um, 
something that I wanted to be a part of after a pretty profound spiritual experience with the guru of the lineage. Um, and so I took initiation into this uh, traditional tantric lineage, um, returned home to the Philadelphia area, and then started making plans to go even deeper and then traveled to Australia the next year to begin a two-year teacher training uh, that I undertook while living at the ashram as a resident and taking more initiations into the tradition, um, doing the whole shaved head, flowing robes, uh, the whole nine yards. Wow. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I was, I was fully in, like it was my, my spiritual identity was my, my personal identity was, was completely wrapped up in my spiritual tradition for better or worse. Um, it was for better for a while. <laughs> and, and then things sort of change shape a bit. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's the, the that's a very short version of a 10 year journey. I know more about this. I'm like what? <laughs> okay. So I feel like we need to continue with that journey of like the, how did it unravel? So people are listening. Cause I have a lot of people who are, you know, maybe just starting on their yoga journey or their yoga path and maybe are feeling maybe kind of what you felt of it starting to go sour what are some of maybe those red flags or what to look out for if, you know, your journey starts to take a turn that you're like, Ooh, is this the right path? Um, so, you know, <laughs> interestingly, I've, I've had this conversation a number of times just in the last few weeks. Um, and it's, it's, it's such a deeply personal experience for, for each, for each of us. Right. Um, in regards to my, sort of trajectory my experience within my lineage was wholly positive um obviously you know there's always some challenges <laughs> within the positive and i had a lot of challenges living at the ashram um i struggled with a lot of uh self-judgment around my practice because uh you know we, we mentioned human design before our recording started and, you know, the pace of life is largely set by people with consistent energy that they need to express. <laughs> and I'm not one of them. I'm a projector. And and long before I understood this about myself, I, I really, I struggled with it. I thought that there was something wrong with me. So waking up at five o'clock in the morning and doing an hour and a half sadhana um, every day felt horrible for me. It felt, you know, I, I, I wanted to sleep <laughs> and I thought that there was that, that, that was something to be ashamed of that I needed to struggle through and push through, um, and really embrace tapasya, but it was tapasya, you know, austerity in Sanskrit. Uh, it was tapasya at the expense of your own well being is not the path, you know, and as a woman with, cycles that that are moving through me with hormonal changes and just with my particular energetic design um my needs for rest are different than you know the yoga men from hundreds perhaps thousands of years ago guiding um 
you know, guiding these, these practices forward and, and sharing them within the construct of the narrative of, you know, this is what makes a good yogi. This is what is required for spiritual practice and spiritual discipline and spiritual progress. You know, you, you must embrace self-discipline. You must suffer. You must push through and muscle your way through, you know, that which you are averse to, because this is how you grow. And so that, that was one of the main challenges that I experienced within the yoga tradition, just broadly. Um, and I learned, you know, as I continued on my path and continued to understand what it really meant to be in the feminine. Um, and, and I don't mean like, feminine as in like the polarity. I just mean feminine as in truly honoring your needs, you know, and, and being deeply attuned to your body, to your rhythms, to the rhythms of, of nature, to the different rhythms, just at different times of the day, you know, as in Ayurveda. Um, so realizing that, that that was, uh, that's some, something that I needed to really embrace brought a lot of freedom and I was able to release a lot of self-judgment. Um, but that was one of the biggest challenges I'd say on the yogic path. So if anyone listening is sort of immersed in traditional yogic teachings and judging yourself for not doing it right, for not, um, you know, doing enough asana, enough meditation for not having a disciplined enough sadhana, like just be gentle with yourself. Um, I can totally relate to that. When my first 200 hour training, I remember being like, cause I came from the personal training side and I was like, Oh, I'm, I don't look the yoga part. I am like the, you know, they expected me to teach more of probably, you know, your vinyasa and your flow and go. And I was like, that's not what I want to do. I want to do restorative. I'm like, I can do that to myself in the gym. I'm like, I want to chill out and relax. And cause I remember my, the, the mentor I picked was a restorative yoga teacher. And she was like, I mean, she was like, I'm just going to ask you point blank. Why did you pick me? Do you think I'm going to be easy? I was like, no, I'm like, this is what I want to teach. And she was like, oh, I would have never expected that. And so that was kind of my first like friction of like, Oh, I don't look the yoga part because I'm too much in the the training side of things at the time. And, um, you know, just having that, I think that all of us have this like projection or like, here's what it should look like. Here's what yoga teachers, you know, a good yoga teacher looks like. And um, I think we put those stories on ourselves. And, you know, sometimes it is what we see in social media too of like, oh, this is, this is what they, you know, all the good yoga teachers wear or look like we need to be more flowy. So all of that, I think, plays a factor in some of this. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and funny enough, I, I didn't mention this, but my, <laughs> my sort of first introduction to being in the body was through weightlifting <laughs> all through high school and college. I was like training with bodybuilders <laughs> and then I found yoga. Um, and, and I switched directions, but, but anyway, it's, yeah, there, there needs to be this understanding of like, of understanding that your practice can be whatever is correct for you and that it can be different every day. And that, you know, it, yoga is a way of life. Yoga is 
it's a way of being it is it's the path of awareness um and the focus on sadhana is you know it's important to have some sort of sadhana but your sadhana could be chanting mantras your sadhana could be self-inquiry swahaya you know it could be um just devotion right the path of bhakti it could be service it doesn't have to be this rigorous practice of asana pranayama meditation mudra banda it doesn't have to be that um so yeah i feel pretty passionately about about people empowering themselves to be their own teacher and to understand what they actually need on a day-to-day basis to learn to listen to their body and to trust their intuition and to not you know subscribe to this dogmatic notion that it has to look a certain way that it has to be a certain way that it has to be the same or you're not cultivating the rigorous discipline that is required to be a good yogi i call bullshit on that um that's not what it means to you know on the path of tantra like there's this heavy focus on honoring the the divine feminine it's this this honoring the creative principle right take away the divine feminine whatever it's just honoring the creative principle for us to be truly in any uh, aligned expression of <laughs> being something through which things can come into being, whatever that is, we have to be tending to ourselves in, in a very aware and individual way. Hmm. Yes. And knowing it will change. I mean, it's going to change throughout the years. My practice has changed throughout the years. And I know it will change again. You know, once this baby's here again, I'm like, things will shift again. I'm going to be interested in different areas and discover different um, parts of myself, which is kind of like half the joy, I think of, you know, having a practice, whatever that looks like for you is opening, being open to that, that it doesn't have to always be the same day in, day out. Cause I think people get bored and things get stale. And then that's when things I think fall apart or drop off for people is because it just stayed too monotonous. And especially again, like, I love that you tapped about the cycles. Cause I think that's, that's one, when I started playing with them, like, I just want to just lay in a restorative pose when I'm bleeding. And that's my morning practice. And that is all I need rather than feel like, okay, why can't I do this 10 or 15 minute yoga asana in my mornings? Like, no, it's because I just need rest. I just need to lay here and meditate and see what comes through. Yeah. I, I just, this morning, even like, you know, I sort of struggle with finding my ideal timing for, for doing like brain work, for doing admin work, for doing creative work, like, because relate to that. (laughs) It's such a struggle and being a solo entrepreneur in like doing what you are most passionate about in the world, everything is emotional labor. (laughs) And everything can feel like a struggle sometimes. So it's it's about learning how to find that ease. And this morning, I I like put on this beautiful, um, like just beautiful music, this soothing music. And I put on the heating pad on my recliner and I grabbed my lap desk and my computer. And I was like, this is how I'm working this morning. This is how I'm showing up for my work. I'm going to do it in a restful way because that's what I need right now. I can't sit in my formal work environment. I just need to be reclined, very reclined. 
<laughs> I love that. I love that. That's one thing I have missed. I just have a desktop computer now. I was like, man, I really do miss having that laptop because I'm like, I, I can't move around my space. I'm like, I am stuck at my desk working now, which I have found I really would love to, especially now, you know, third trimester pregnancy. I'm like, I would really love to just go somewhere else because I'm like, this chair is not comfortable anymore. I'm like, I would like to just sit on the couch and do some work. But like, that's little things like that where you're like, yeah, why do I have to feel like it needs to look a certain way? You know, what works best for you? Yeah. How can I bring more ease into this moment? Like, what is this moment requiring? What is this moment asking? Oh. Well, I would love because we haven't defined what yoga nidra is. And so, so people are like, Hey, what is this yoga nidra that you're talking about? What does this mean? What does it look like? Um, can you share a little bit about what it is, what it means to you? Oh my goodness. Okay. So in short, this is, there's, there's lots and lots of, of aspects of yoga nidra. You know, I, I, I run like hundred hour teacher trainings. So it's the, the, the breadth of this topic is, is vast. Um, but when I'm sort of describing it to people casually, uh, people who are coming to it fresh, um, it's a beginner friendly, fully guided, deep relaxation meditation that you practice from lying down and it teaches you what it feels like to let go on every level of your being. Um, can you hear how many times I've said that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it's, it's so much more than that, you know, like yoga nidra meets you where you are and it is, it is an incredibly profound practice because of its accessibility and the depth that it guides you to without any effort, without any experience necessary Um, you know, I always say to, to my students that if they're, you know, lying down in a, in a yoga nidra class next to someone that's been meditating for 20 years and they've been meditating for two days or a week, uh, there is no barrier to entry yoga nidra, shall we say success? I hate (laughs) making it a, a success sort of situation, but your ability to go deep in yoga nidra is not dependent on the gray matter in your brain. Your ability in yoga nidra is dependent on your ability to let go. Mm. So lying next to someone who's been meditating for 20 years, you've never meditated before in your life. Solid chance. You could go to the deeper, the deepest depths of your consciousness without any prior experience necessary. Um, and have, you know, a full on mystical experience. So it's pretty cool in that regard. Um, but you know, the notion of, of letting go, when I say your ability to let go, like a lot of that comes down to your ability to feel safe and at ease and at home in your body. And for a lot of people, there's a lot of unwinding that needs to be done on that level. There's a lot of, um, depending on what you've experienced in life, right? You know, if you've experienced a lot of trauma, if you are under a lot of stress, uh, if if you don't know what it means to be at ease in your body, you know, these these things are going to uh, show up in your practice. So there's, there's a bit of a learning curve in a way 
Um, but it's a gentle path that really unfolds just perfectly and divinely. Um, and it feels so good to, to practice. Like I, 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 at this point, everyone listening to this podcast, everyone on the planet knows how good meditation is for them. Right. At this point, it's a foregone conclusion. Like we, we know, we know, but the world is not meditating more people than ever before, but still meditation as it is traditionally presented, um, it's kind of hard. It's actually quite confronting. It requires a great deal of courage to sit with the mind. Um, most people's bodies are not prepared to sit in any kind of meditation posture. Um, it doesn't feel good. So there's a lot of hurdles that, that, that people need to sort of jump over in order to develop a, a sustained a deep meditation practice that actually supports and serves them. Whereas yoga nidra, you, you know, maybe put down a fluffy blanket or a sheepskin or whatever you might want to rest on and you get a bolster under your knees or rolled blanket, get a thin cushion under your head, maybe an eye pillow you put on your fuzziest socks, you get all of your cozies ready and you just lay down and you can practice at home with the recording. There's no way to do it wrong. Even if you fall asleep, it is what it is. <laughs> so it's, it's a pleasure to practice and it feels like, a, it feels nourishing. It feels like a luxury. And so it's, it's easy to actually bring into your day. You want to do it. Um, and I think for me, that's, that's one of the most important things that, um, that sets it apart from, from other meditation techniques. Um, and then as you grow, I'm really going off here as you grow, I love it. <laughs> as you grow more, more comfortable with the practice and as your, your body, your mind and your nervous system sort of habituate to the guidance, um, you start to drop into deeper levels of experience. You start to drop into new states of consciousness that maybe you've never experienced before. Um, and it's working heavily on the level of, um, you know, the nervous system. There's a lot of things going on with the brain and that's a rabbit hole that we probably don't have time for, but, but you, you end up moving towards this, state of being that the yogis call yoga nidra. So it's a name for the yoga nidra is a name for both the meditation technique that various lineages have put forward over the, the past, you know, 50 to 75 years. Um, and it's also the name for a state of being a state of consciousness that is beyond the waking dreaming and the deep sleep state, deep sleep state. Um, and the yogis called this state of being, this state of awareness in deep sleep. Nidra means sleep in Sanskrit. Uh, they called this state yoga nidra, this different state. So, so the practice, the technique, all of the techniques put forth by, you know, different lineages and teachers, they all guide you to the state. There's many paths up the mountain, um, but once you get to that mountaintop, you're like, 
do I really have to come back? <laughs> do I really have to go back down? Um, it's just beautiful. Now, if people are listening, so I have kind of two paths or two paths with this question, I guess one for people who are like, maybe they haven't practiced and they want to, you know, you have a ton on insight timer and that's kind of where I've discovered yours and love doing your pregnancy one. Um, and so is there an ideal? So if people are looking through, they're like, wow, there's so many different lengths of time. Where would you suggest people to start? Cause I, I like to do the 40 minute one now, but I know I was not there when I first started. Cause I was like, mentally, it's more of a mental thing of like, I don't know if I can get past 10 minutes, you know, where would you suggest people to kind of start with their yoga nidra journey or should they start a little meditation practice first? Um, I, you know, I don't think you need to, there are no prerequisites for yoga nidra except for comfort and an attitude (laughs) of letting yourself be effortless, letting yourself let go of that attitude of trying, of doing, you know, like, and, and cultivating sort of an inner quality of receptivity. Um, those are the only prerequisites, uh, in terms of time spent, you know, I have a practice on there that I think is about 20 minutes, which is one of them is, is holding space for healing rest, which is really gentle and beginner friendly. Um, and you know, a 20 minute practice is a great place to start. My favorite that I have up on insight timer for daytime use. I have a sleep practice as well. The one that, that I would recommend is sleep deeply with yoga nidra. That's the the crowd pleaser. Um, I basically recorded it for my own insomnia. So with that in mind for, for, for folks who are really struggling with sleep. Um, but if you're not having trouble with sleep, I don't recommend using yoga nidra as a sleep aid. It can be used as that because if you're not sleeping well, everything in your, everything else in your life is, is suffering. So addressing sleep as the number one pain point fully support that. Um, but even practicing in the daytime, you're going to actually experience profound benefits for sleep because sleep is a letting go and an inability to fall asleep at night is indicative of your body, mind, heart, nervous system, whatever it might be holding on to something, not being able to put it down. Um, so practicing in the daytime will support your sleep regardless. Um, but one thing that I would say is for the daytime practice, my, my favorite is the, oh, I forget what it's called. You're right to rest. I think it's a 40, 45 minute one, 40 some minute, but it's actually only about 35, 30 or 35. There's a pretty lengthy intro and there's a period of progressive muscle relaxation as well to help you sort of get into that state of ease in the body to remember what that feels like. Um, and you know, in general, don't be intimidated by any length of time for yoga nidra, because if you pop out of it, so to speak, then you're out and you can stop the recording, you know, like, but you never know how deep you might go. You never know how nourishing it might feel. Um, so don't put that pressure on yourself to complete the entire practice. Um, there's nothing gained from lying there in a state of like, is it done yet? You know, <laughs> so just stop. But if you have the time, you know, 
go for it. If you don't have the time, do, do a shorter practice. Um, that would be my recommendation. I love that. And then kind of the second question that I kind of popped in, because I know you talked about this of leading. So if someone's maybe wants to teach yoga nidra and you always talk about leading without a script. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's why I really want to take, you know, your training in the future here is just to get more comfortable not having to have a script. I usually have something there if I have to sub for a class that has it just because I'm like, my comfort level is not there. I haven't practiced it. I haven't went to a training yet, but I'm, I'm here and I have to sub. So there's probably people who are listening who are in the same boat of like, how do you kind of get comfortable with that? You know, what trainings, you know, I know you offer one that's coming up too. Um, what, where can we kind of explore that kind of muscle? Yeah. Well, I I have a couple things to say about the importance of being trained for yoga nidra. Please do. Um, (laughs) Please do. I don't know if anyone at the studio I teach at is, I'm not going to lie. That's, that is the issue that I see a lot. And a lot of my students and a lot of teachers that I've trained reach out and share the same thing. Um, There is this belief in the yogic community that yoga nidra is something that you can teach by reading a script, or it's simply an extended body scan. Um, It's just a longer Shavasana. Those are incorrect beliefs. Um, I'm usually pretty, you know, loose with like, well, subjective interpretation. No. Um, Yoga Nidra, you are guiding people into an altered state of consciousness. And that requires proper training. Um, when you're teaching with a script, you're not, you're, you're not able to actually see what's happening with your students. Um, you're focused on words on a page and you're not actually holding the space, right? You're focused on you. You're focused on, you know, doing it correctly, um, getting the right timing, whatever it might be. Um, and you're not actually attuned to what's happening in your students' nervous systems. Are they actually feeling safe? Are they actually feeling supported? Uh, What visual cues you're receiving that you need to modify your guidance for? Um, There's so much information that that comes from seeing your students in front of you. And when we're reading a script, we're, we're not actually holding the space. And when we're guiding people into altered states of consciousness, And when people are coming to yoga nidra, potentially because therapists have told them that it's a practice for healing trauma, which it is, um, people are in our care. They're in our care. And we have to be mindful of that responsibility and, you know, understand what we're actually doing and, and why we're guided and why the practice is structured in the way that it's structured. And, you know, what each stage of the practice is facilitating and how it can be modified for trauma and how it can be modified for what we see in front of us um, and how we can just really hold the space for our students in in the safest and most, you know, responsible way. Um, So I feel really strongly about that because I have definitely, I actually got an email from a... (laughs) from a lawyer last year who was filing a suit against a yoga nidra teacher because of uh, a student that wasn't properly cared for in the practice. Wow. Yeah. So like, it is like, there's some stuff that can happen. 
Um, it's, you know, with a, with a yoga teacher training, you know, you learn how to work with students' bodies and you learn how to work with students' bodies safely in the waking state. Um, with a yoga nidra teacher training, you learn how to work with their bodies, their minds, their samskaras, uh, their past trauma, um, their spiritual practice within a subconscious state of being, within an altered state of consciousness. Um, so it's, you know, obviously like I am not a trauma expert by any means, um, but I focus pretty heavily on the level of care that we need to take in my trainings in regards to you know, understanding how people's past experiences can uh, inhibit a feeling of safety in their body and how we can facilitate um, supporting them in their journey to come home to themselves and to come home to a feeling of safety. So long-winded answer, <laughs> but I get like, I get super fired up about it because I've been teaching this for over a decade and it's, it's my you know, it's the bulk of my work professionally. Um, and, and it's like, and there's people that are reading scripts, like from this, from the, the book of my lineage, the Bihar school of yoga, the blue book, um, just titled yoga Nidra Swami Satyananda. And the scripts in there are not for Westerners. <laughs> they are not for people who have experienced any trauma. They are not okay. It's talking about dead bodies burning it's talking about going down a well. It's talking about really intense, like, because in the tantric yogic tradition, you know, the focus is on exploding samskaras. And that's not always done in a gentle way. Um, so yeah, if anyone's listening, I hope I didn't upset you. If you're teaching and you haven't been trained, I understand it. So many people are doing it, but please, 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 please get trained. And like a 20 hour training isn't a training. You can't go into it. Um, you don't have to train with me, but there's a lot of amazing teachers out there offering, you know, 50 hour trainings, 100 hour trainings. <laughs> Because there's a lot. <laughs> like, as you're saying, I'm like, I don't even know. I'm like, I'm probably just doing a guide to Shavasana for 15 minutes with my people. Because <laughs> I'm like, it's a yin yoga nidra class that I've subbed for a few times. And I'm like, I, I've done what Tracy had taught. Tracy Stanley had said during the meditation training of like, what do you embody? What do you, you know, learn and teach from there? And that's kind of what I, I do when I do those trainings. And I have that like script there in case I, you know, it's like a safety net. And then I mostly just am probably doing more of a guided Shavasana, not necessarily a yoga nidra, but they don't, I mean, the audience, they don't, I don't think they know. Cause I don't know if, again, I don't know if anyone is officially trained like this. The more that you're talking about, it, I was like, I'm not sure exactly. We're probably all doing more of a guided Shavasana than anything. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. And look, people might drop into the state of yoga nidra in a guided Shavasana. Like it's, and in that case, they are doing yoga nidra. <laughs> they are they are in it. They are experiencing it. Um, but yeah, it's it's really really common. Um, and no judgment, like really really no judgment. Like I I come to it purely from a duty of care, um, scope of practice perspective. Like just understanding 
the power, because unless you practice for a long period of time and you have a really deep understanding of what can unfold and the challenges that can come up and the things from your subconscious that can come up, unless you have practiced for a long time and you understand how to contextualize the experiences that you've had, um, you're not going to be aware of the power of the practice. It makes sense. I mean, it's the same was what I was sharing with um, the the owner of the studio with Ayurveda. I'm like, sometimes it's harder for me to go in and then rework what some of the yoga teachers have taught that isn't quite right, or it's not quite what Ayurveda is and what it can do. And then people come to me and they're like, well, I thought it was this. I'm like, no, or that is such a small part of it. Like that really yes. doesn't matter. And we get obsessed about this part and then it's us undoing or unteaching. So I was like, it's probably the same wheelhouse of like, just that, okay, you know, there's, it's harder because then people get confused. So if the audience, I mean, if the teachers don't quite know, then the audience that we're trying yeah. to reach don't know, and then confusion. And then, you know, what is anyone doing? They don't know. Whisper down the lane. Yep. Yes. <laughs> so I can relate. Like, it's the same thing too with human design, like where I see people on social media, I haven't really been sharing on social media publicly on human design because I don't want people to be getting information from posts that can't actually address the breadth of it, you know, like, and it's, it's these systems of study and self-inquiry and spiritual practice when you approach them with a sort of a shallowness, um, they can't actually trend. They can't actually provide the transformation that they could otherwise offer. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to kind of just pull that thread briefly before we finish with the human design. Um, cause I know that is part of your work and we're both, we were talking before projectors. And so if people are kind of new to that, like, how do you even introduce this concept to people? Um, if they're like, what is this human design? Maybe they've heard about it or maybe they've seen the memes on social media and they're like, I am this. And you know, this is all there is to it. And we were talking about open and closed gates. And I mean, it's just so much. And then there's the numbers that are with the gates and all of it relates. I mean, so deep. I mean, it's same thing with Ayurveda and like the doshas, there's like that. And then there's way more in depth, you know, we have tissue levels that we could talk about and, you know, so how do you kind of approach that with people? Oof. Um, yeah, well, I mean, the thing about being projectors, the two of us is we don't do very well with the, <laughs> with the shallow introduction. Um, because yeah, that's, that's the projector superpower is, is being able to go really really deep into the roots of things and synthesize. Um, so with human design, um, I mean, I, th I think the reason I feel really called to share it with people is because it's been so helpful for me in releasing um, self-judgment and compare and despair around my energetic bandwidth, around, um, you know, the way I experienced the world, it, it really just cleared up so much that I have been experiencing my entire life and never had any, I thought there was something wrong with me. <laughs> I thought there was something wrong with me. Um, but yeah, it, it's quite a vast system and you can really go into the weeds with it. Um, it's essentially a system of self-inquiry that synthesizes a number of um, sort of mystical systems. 
and provides pretty profound insights into your natural gifts, um, your energetic bandwidth, how you're best suited to um, learn, teach, uh, engage with life to create more flow, to create more ease. Um, it provides insight into um, aligned strategies for decision-making, focusing on releasing the grip, releasing yourself from the grip of the mind and learning how to come into the body and trust the wisdom of the body to trust the um, depth of your own intuition, your instincts, and, and learn to, so that you can learn a life like sort of free from shoulds and trust in your own naturalness and trust in your own gifts and in, um, and trust in yourself to, to walk on the path that is for you. Right. So that's, a little bit about what what human design is and and why I'm so stoked on it. Um, it also shows you what you're not. So it also shows you sort of where your energetic vulnerabilities are and where you are susceptible to influence, so to speak, from people in your life, from the environment that you're in, and it, it shows you um, some strategies, it guides you to some strategies for how to navigate that and to how to release yourself from the grip of uh, these beliefs that we hold around how we think we should be versus how we actually are. are. Um, so that's a little bit, just a little bit, but it's, it's, it's often being treated as like a box that you put yourself in. Like you were saying, like the memes and it's like, people are like, oh, a generator. So I am these things. And it's like, but I don't have consistent energy and I don't understand. It says I should be this and I should feel this, but I don't. And it's like, well, there's a lot of other things happening <laughs> and there's, it's very nuanced. So it really does require, um, you know, a little bit of time and exploration if it's something that resonates. I mean, yeah, I mean, that if people are listening, they're like, Ayurveda and the dosha, it's very similar. Like you might be Pitta, but it doesn't mean you have all of those characteristics. It doesn't mean that you don't currently have a Vata imbalance. And that's why you're not relating to any of that. I mean, again, it's that nuance that it's not, that doesn't translate well via social media. And that's where it's so easy. I mean, it's easy to throw up the stuff and, and I'll do it. I used to hate doing it, but now I'm like, I'll do it occasionally. And then I try to educate. I don't know if anyone reads posts anymore, but I'm like, I try to educate in the writing, but you know, who knows? I know. I know. And we just spend all of our time trying to make sure that people are educated yes. on social media. I know. Yes. I get it. Yeah. Uh, so I can totally relate to that. I'm sure people listening with that, you know, a lot of people are familiar with Ayurveda now can be like, okay, so this is something to, to learn and explore if this is something that is of interest to you, because, you know, like this is a, this is a, it's work I've, I've tried to explore and I get it in bits and pieces every year. And, um, you know, it's something that I'm interested in, but I, I would be totally the meme person who was like, yep, the projector. <laughs> and this year I was like, okay, now I realize I have some open gates. I kind of know what that means. And then, you know, every year I kind of add a little piece to it. And then, you know, that's kind of how I'm exploring it. And it's, I, I want to share one last piece of this puzzle just briefly for people to contemplate, you know, ultimately like there's so much focus on the spiritual path, especially sort of within like new age communities on the individual. Mm. And 
all about self, 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 self. Mm-hmm. And for me, the, the, the coolest thing about human design is it's application in relationships. It's application in, you know, in relation to the other, because mm-hmm. when we look at our chart in conjunction with the chart of a loved one, in conjunction with the chart of a friend, a business partner, our child, um, we can see how our energies play together. And we can see the places where we create conflict because of the way our R's are functioning. And when we can bring understanding to that, we create this beautiful space and grace for harmony and peace in relationship. And to me, that is what it's all about. It's it's about self-awareness, understanding your own aura mechanics, and then understanding the other understanding the impact of your energy on the other and taking responsibility for it. I feel so passionate about this being the thing. Uh, I love it. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I mean, and both of us that work, you know, one-on-one with people or in groups, like it is important to kind of know that about who you're working with and picking up those, um, those energetic vibes and just kind of fear, how can I work with this person best? So that's definitely a tool that um, I think is beneficial. Yeah. So I know you have a retreat coming up this next year, as well as a yoga ninja training. Can you just share a little bit about both of those? Absolutely. Oh my God. I'm so excited. Um, so I, I'm my next yoga ninja teacher training starts February 18th and I have um, early registration until January 18th. So it's a hundred hour training with about 50 hours live in the classroom Um some pre-recorded content and uh, really, really well-supported um, learning environment, so that you can teach yoga nidra without a script. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then my my retreat is coming up at the end of March, March 26th to 31st. It's called Honor Your Energy, um, and it'll be in San Pancho, Mexico, just about an hour north of Puerto Vallarta. Um, and we're going to be staying at this absolutely stunning eco resort surrounded by jungle on the ocean. Um, and we are going to be practicing yoga nidra every day. We are going to be exploring our human design and what it means to listen to our body, what it means to trust our intuition, um, understanding how our energy plays with the other people on the retreat so that we can put that into practice. Um, and yeah, we're going to have a beautiful Temescal ceremony to conclude, to just sort of really create this, this, um, shall we say portal for a new beginning? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know, cause it's about taking what you learn on retreat home with you. Yes. And, and the retreat is going to be so restful, so restorative, um, and a real powerful opportunity for you to honor your energy. And then understand in an embodied way what that means and then go home with that knowing. So I'm, oh, and we're going to be doing an early, not early, um, a little Christmas discount. So that promo code is going to be shared. If you DM me on Instagram, I'll send it to you. Um, and it will also be shared with my email list. Perfect. And what's your Instagram? Oh, meditation chick. (laughs) Just in case. (laughs) everything I'll put it in the show notes but I'm like I always like when I'm listening I like it when people say it because then I can search for them because I don't always look back at people's show notes so totally um and then your website as well 
meditationchick.com. It is everywhere. I am meditation chick. Perfect. Are you doing any more? um, (laughs) Are you doing any more yoga nidra or retreats next year that you know of? This is for me selfishly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I probably will be doing a fall training as well. Um, but the price will be going up a bit because I have realized that I am undervaluing my offerings. Um, Okay, I could support that. <laughs> I want to make things accessible and affordable, but I also know that what I'm delivering because my students keep feeding it back to me. They're like, what are you, this is, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it. it'll be in the fall. Um, and then other retreats, I might do another local retreat near to LA, but I don't have anything else on the calendar as of yet. Um, okay. But I will be doing a human design sort of community program where we're working through our chart energetics together. Um, so that should be coming soon. Perfect. Perfect. So I'll put all that in the show notes and you can connect um, with Hillary as well. So I just have one final question for you. I would love for you to throw out a little weekly challenge to all the listeners. Um, anything that you want them to try for this next week and incorporate into their lives? I think that this is a great opportunity to just gently encouraged to challenge in a soothing way um anyone listening to practice yoga nidra three times this week just three times maybe more if you're like wow i'm into it um just three times make it a luxury make it a pleasure um set up your space beautifully maybe do a little ritual for yourself before you begin um and yeah just enjoy the deep rest that, that it offers you and the transformation that comes when we come home to ourselves. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom today, Hillary. You were such a delight to talk to. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a joy. And everyone go out there and spread your peaceful power.